0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn it to Matthew chapter 6. That's not tornado sirens, so we're good, right? Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing in our sermon series on kingdom living, looking at Jesus' famous sermon on the mount. And we've been taking it slow going through Line by line, petition by petition of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that our Lord Jesus took the time to teach us, to share with his disciples, so that they may grow in prayer in the Christian life. And this morning we will be looking at the fifth petition. But our passage of study, I will read God's holy word, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we ask now for the illumination of the Holy Spirit to to understand the truth that is contained here in your word and Lord, even as we study and apply some very hard things that we read, would, would you teach us, would you show us the way we should go? We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, I don't know if you realized it or not, but earlier in the service, I we got you to con- confess something. Everyone who was participating in the middle of the service confessed that they were a dirty, rotten, evil sinner. So, congratulations this morning. If you, did, did you realize that? Did you see that? Earlier, we, we read and we sang Psalm 51 that we use as an act of corporate confession of sin. It's very intentional that we did that in the service this morning because corporate of confession of sin is biblical. And it's proper for God's people gathering together to worship. The point being this, confessing our sins, admitting that we are dirty, rotten, evil sinners. That may have not been exactly why you showed up this morning to come to this worship service. And it's certainly not something that we seek to practice every day. We don't go look in the mirror and go, I am a dirty, rotten, evil sinner. Yet, that is exactly what our Lord wants to teach us this morning through the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. In the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, the disciple of Jesus Christ is, Christ is taught to, to ask for something, to petition the Lord through confession of sin that has already been granted to those who know Jesus, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is at the heart of justification by faith. Justification by faith clearly states the fact that we have been forgiven of our sins. This petition does not mean that believers are daily to go to God the Father for their justification all over again. Rather, believers are to go daily before the throne of grace asking for forgiveness as a way of seeking to restore daily fellowship with God the Father that is hindered by sin in our lives. The reason that this daily petition, forgive us of our debts, is necessary for the disciple of Christ is because of sin. Sin has drastically hindered our relationship with God. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, we find the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And again, Jesus is modeling for us. He's continuing to teach us about prayer. And in this petition, he's teaching his disciples that an important part of prayer is confession of sin and seeking forgiveness from God. That's a key point of prayer. Confession of sin and seeking forgiveness from God. So to understand this petition and how it relates to the Christian life, I want us to examine three important words this morning, three important words of the Christian life. You may call these Christian vocabulary words. And those three words are sin, confession, and forgiveness. Sin, confession, and forgiveness. So let's look at those three words this morning. The first word is sin. You look there in that petition in verse 12. The petition states, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our debts. A debt is not a common way that we refer to sin, but that is what the implication here is. We are talking about sins, forgiveness of sins, In the Gospel of Luke, in his version of the Lord's Prayer, he actually does say, forgive us of our sins. But here, Matthew uses the Greek word that is very rarely used in the New Testament that does literally refer to a debt, a payment that is owed. And so we confess, we pray, forgive us of our debts. John Calvin explained this pretty well. He says, we call sins debts... Because the penalty which they attract is owed to God's justice as payment. A payment we could not meet without being released from it by remission. We owe God a debt. We call sin a debt because it is a debt we owe to God. And that is exactly what David does in Psalm 51 that we read and sang this morning. David says very clearly in his Confession, Against you, you only have I sinned, O Lord. He realized his debt of sin is owed to God the Father. Every single person who has ever lived on this earth and ever will live on this earth is indebted to God because of sin. The Bible states very clearly, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are indebted to him. The believer in Christ, though, the one who has trusted in Jesus, has great hope because they know that their debt has been canceled because their sins were nailed to the cross. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2. And our sin is no longer counted against us because of Jesus' sacrifice. But for those who do not know Christ, the Bible says you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you are indebted to the Holy God, and his wrath is against you. That is what the scriptures teach. But at the crux of this petition, forgive us of our debts. We are called to acknowledge before God the Father the fact that we are sinners. And our sin needs to be dealt with. Our sin cannot be dismissed. Sin is, in fact, an ongoing issue of the Christian life. Sin doesn't just go away once you become a Christian. How I wish it did. But we do, in fact, live in a fallen world where sin has marred everyone and continues to plague even believers. I remember some 20 years ago, a a dear woman coming to me and asking me, are you a part of that Presbyterian church and that college ministry called RUF? Yes, ma'am. I mean, y'all are a cult. Oh, well, why? Y'all are always talking about sin. Why are you always saying that you're nothing but a sinner? You know, Jesus died for that. You're not a sinner. Go on living your life. You're fine. You've got it covered. I just looked at her and said, no, ma'am, that's not what Jesus believes about me and everyone else, and that's certainly not what Jesus taught. Sin cannot just be swept under the rug. Sin cannot just be ignored. Sin, unfortunately, has also become taboo in our culture to talk about, and even in the church. If we are honest with ourselves, we even fail to talk about sin in the church. And perhaps the reason that Christianity, especially American Christianity, is losing the culture war is because we fail to call sin, sin. We fail to label evil and call out what is wrong, And so part of our confession this morning must be that we have a low view of sin. Our theology of sin is is very weak. And a low view of sin, a weak theology of sin will give you a low view of God's grace and our tremendous need of it. If we fail to understand the biblical teaching. On sin, then we will be led to all kinds of errors in our lives. If we don't see our sin and we don't see our need of forgiveness, then ultimately what that leads to is no need for a Savior. And that is wrong. That is error. We must understand what sin is. So, what is sin? Is it a, is it a character flaw? Is it just something that kind of, you know, hinders you from looking pretty every day? I mean, what is it? What is sin? Our Westminster Shorter Catechism gives a great definition of what sin is. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Sin is referred to in Scripture as failing to hit the target. It's missing the mark. It's falling short. Sin is is law-breaking, breaking God's law. And we must understand in scriptures, when it refers to the sin, sin is always in relation to God. Not that he's associated with sin, but our sin is against him. Our sin offends him. We rebel and sin against God. That is what our sin is. Perhaps if you're new to a Reformed PCA church, you may hear us talk about our system of doctrine from time to time called Reformed theology, or you might hear it also referred to as Calvinism. Don't be intimidated by those words. we are glad to teach you and talk to you about those things at some point. But that is what we believe the Scriptures teach as the Reformers set up in the, in the 16th century. And in this system of doctrine called Calvinism, it's nicely summarized with an acrostic called TULIP. So to soften the blow, we named it after a flower. So (laughs) each letter in TULIP teaches a biblical doctrine. The first letter in TULIP you may know is T, and it stands for total depravity. We believe the scriptures teach that man is totally depraved. I'm an adamant believer in total depravity because I know my own heart and my own life, and I believe what the Scriptures teach. And the doctrine of total depravity teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are incapable of saving themselves apart from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Total depravity is perhaps one of the hardest truths to believe in the Christian life because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear that we are morally corrupt. We don't want to hear that we are wicked in our true nature. We don't want to believe that we are dirty, rotten sinners. We think that sin is, that's an issue for those people out there. That doesn't really matter to us. But brothers and sisters, what the scriptures teach is that even mature, godly believers in Jesus Christ still struggle with sin. Sin is an ongoing issue of the Christian life. You can read all about it in Romans chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul wrestles tremendously with the remaining sin in his life. We fail in the Christian life to give the Lord our total unwavering obedience because of sin. And we do, in fact, owe to the Lord our complete obedience. Yet, we cannot pay it because we are in God's debt. We are debtors. So the heart of the matter is this, and what Jesus means to teach us here in this petition is that we must take sin seriously. We must take sin seriously. Jesus does. He died for it. When we fail to take our sins seriously, we are led into all kinds of moral and spiritual failure. And so a proper theology of sin is paramount for the Christian life. We must understand what the scriptures teach about sin. And so I ask you this morning, do you actually believe that you are indebted to God because of your sin? Can you honestly say, as David did in Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Kingdom living, living in God's kingdom as a disciple of Christ really begins here with this acknowledgement that you are a sinner. Don't worry, I'm not going to end the sermon there. I have a a friend, a dear brother in Christ who is a preacher in the PCA, and he was asked to resign from one of his former churches. And he was very confused and troubled by it, but the the main reason that they gave him, that they wanted him to resign and move on, is because he talked about sin too much. Pastor, you're preaching too much about sin. We kind of want you to make us feel a little better. Well, I'll just tell you this morning, you you are welcome to criticize me about preaching too much about sin, but only, but only if I'm not talking about the gospel and how wonderful it is that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. We must understand our sin so that we can understand the good news. And so I think that's the first thing that Jesus means to teach us here about sin and how we must go to the Lord acknowledging our sin. And that's the second thing, confession. We must remember that this is a petition here. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are requesting, we are asking something of God the Father when we pray this. What we are petitioning and what we are requesting here is, as we said before, an act of worship. It's a Christian discipline called confession. Confession of sin. Confession is admitting, and even sometimes out loud, but certainly in the prayers of our heart, that you are guilty, that you are a sinner. Confession is the spiritual discipline of saying exactly what David says in Psalm 51. God, I am a sinner. Sin is so serious that we must confess that we have failed to glorify God and honor God because of our sin. And sin is so serious that the disciple must daily come before the Lord in Confession. As what De- Jesus is teaching us here about confession. Confession is to be a daily activity of the Christian life. This is an important element of prayer that we must not forget. We must not leave it out. We must go before the Lord in prayer, confessing our sins. Yes, you may understand from the teaching of Scriptures that Christians do have a new nature. And this new nature does allow us to pursue holiness and to put sin to death, but the disciple of Jesus also still has the old nature, a fallen nature that can never be fully rid of sin. And that is why confession of sin is not just a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, it is to be a daily practice before the throne of grace, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And that is why David prays elsewhere in Psalm 139. He says, see if there be any grievous, any offensive, any sinful ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Christ calls us to petition daily before God the Father for the forgiveness of sins. So how do we confess our sins? Are we just to sit around all day and think about all the bad things that we've done for the day or the bad thoughts that we had and write them down? No, not exactly. This is where the scriptures come in. This is where the Bible is a wonderful guide for us in confession. And Psalm 51, again, that we read about and that we sang this morning is a wonderful place to start David guides us in the manner of confession before God and understanding a proper theology of sin and how we go about confession. And your scriptures probably say right there that he wrote this after he'd messed up really, really bad with adultery and having a man killed. And he goes before the Lord in confession. The scriptures are a wonderful place to help us understand our sin, and confess it to God. And what are the elements of confession? What are the ones that we find even there in Psalm 51? We ask for mercy. We state out loud what we did wrong, and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, and we even ask God to forgive us of our sins that we didn't even know we committed today. They're called sins of commission and sins of omission. We go to the Lord in prayer confessing our sins confession is an important part of the Christian life it is key for a prayer life it is important not only so that we can just beat ourselves up all day but confession holds with it a wonderful promise we don't have time to turn there this morning but write it down and go there later and memorize it first John 1 verse 9 If we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise. If we confess, we have the promise of forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. We petition God the Father to forgive us, and we are assured of his forgiveness because of our confession. Jesus means to teach us that an important part of prayer is confession of sin. So we have sin, we have confession, and the third thing we see here is forgiveness. We petition and forgive us our debts. It's almost like it's assumed, right? It's A prayer of a disciple that we get to automatically assume that we are forgiven the way we ask this petition. But Jesus also adds the tagline here to the fifth petition, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Because at the heart of the gospel, yes, is the forgiveness of sins, but equally at the heart of the Christian life is forgiving others. John Stott said this. He said, One of the chief evidences of true penance is a forgiving spirit. One of the chief evidences that you have been forgiven of your sins by the Lord Jesus Christ and you're walking with Him is that you too have a forgiving spirit. If you look down to verses 14 through 15, we read these this morning as part of our scripture reading, the passage of study. Verses 14 through 15 are not part of the Lord's Prayer uh, specifically, but Jesus does add this in a sense to give some qualification and some commentary on verse 12 and on what we are to mean when we pray this. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is a hard saying. This is an uncomfortable saying. What what is going on here? Well, we forgive because we have been forgiven. So I'm going to flush this out a little bit. Again, I wish we had time this morning, I would take you to a parable that Jesus told that somewhat explains this in Matthew chapter 18, it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And if you're familiar with that story, a servant came to the king, to the Lord, to the the master, and he owed the king a a debt, an amount of money that he couldn't pay off in a hundred lifetimes. It was a tremendous sum of money. And so he pleaded. He pleaded. To the king, to forgive him and to give him more time. But the, and the king, in his grace and in his mercy, says, I forgive you all of your debt. Now go and continue to serve me. And you're thinking, wow, that's amazing. He forgave him of a hundred lifetimes of, of debt. And so what does that servant go out and do? Does he go out and rejoice and say, guess what? I've been forgiven. The king wiped away my debt. No. He goes and finds a, a fellow servant who owed him a dollar, something very minuscule, and begins to beat on him and have him thrown in prison because that fellow servant couldn't pay him his debt. The king got wind of what his servant did after he had been forgiven so much and was greatly displeased with him and put the debt back on him and had him thrown in prison. And so this story illustrates this principle that we are to forgive because we have been forgiven much. And that is why I believe Jesus says these words. The New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce says this about verses 14 and 15 The meaning is unambiguous, and it is unwise to try to avoid its uncomfortable challenge. Forgiveness is always a matter of grace, is it not? We can only forgive once we understand the full extent of God's grace toward us as sinners. The Apostle Paul explains this well in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He is explaining to the Ephesians Christians that this is what the the Christian life is about, and the Christian life is about forgiveness. And the reason that you forgive, he says... Is because we have been forgiven in Christ. Because of all of our sins, of all of our iniquities, of all of our evil and wickedness has been forgiven, has been nailed to the cross, we therefore go and forgive others. Therefore, disciples of Jesus cannot continue in a spirit of unforgiveness toward others because if they do... Can they be assured of their forgiveness before God the Father? Jesus doesn't sanitize his answer, does he? He says no. No. Again, F.F. Bruce says, it is to be expected then that those who receive the forgiveness which God holds out in the gospel, those who call to him as their father will display something of his character and show a forgiving attitude. Or to others. Jesus is not teaching that our ability to forgive others earns us the right to be forgiven. That's not what the passage is saying. Rather, Jesus is teaching that God forgives only those who first see that they are sinners in God's sight. And one of the key evidences of someone who is truly aware of their own sin and their own need of forgiveness is someone who has a forgiving spirit. The prerogative is God alone to forgive. However, we are to forgive so that we may drive sin and malice from our hearts. We cannot ask God to forgive us unless we are willing to forgive others. We cannot plead to God for mercy and at the same time ask him to look over our ill will and our sin toward others. So that is why we pray, forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And we can pray that if our lives have been truly changed by the power of the gospel. Sin, confession, forgiveness. These are all key words of the Christian life. They're key words, they're they're vocabulary words that we must know, we must understand, we must memorize, we must meditate on, we must apply biblically. We must pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Those words in particular are the act of true confession. Lord, forgive me of my sins. At Least you walk out of here feeling like a dirty, rotten sinner, and that's what the pastor told you to think about today and nothing else, the disciple of Jesus must also remember that along with a genuine confession of sin is an assurance of pardon. And that is what we read this morning from Psalm 103, that wonderful assurance of God's pardon. That he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, how high is that? Infinite. So great is his love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? Infinite. Infinite. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him and to those who go before him confessing their sins. Believer in Christ, know this this morning. You are forgiven. Your sins have been nailed to the cross. Be assured of that. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you this morning that we don't confess enough, that we don't truly and and biblically acknowledge that against you, you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Father, we have willingly overlooked our sins, our transgressions, and we have not looked at the plank in our own eyes. We've been looking at the speck in our brother's and sister's eyes. But Father, you've taught us something wonderful this morning. We are great sinners, but you are an even greater Savior. And we praise you and thank you for that.